Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. It's your girl, Jacqueline, alongside my illustrious co-host, Mr. Mark Ellis. How you doing, sir? I am great, Jacqueline, and I'll tell you why. Thanks for asking. It's because... We've had a lot of great shows recently, but this is one of the first times in a while that we have a movie that we're talking about where I'd never seen it before. I remember coming out. I remember thinking, oh, maybe that is something I should check out. I remember having it recommended to me since then. I just never got around to checking it out until this week. So I am coming to this episode as a newly christened (laughs) non-virgin, right? Yes. At least you didn't lie and say that you were. No, nope. I can no longer wear white doing this episode. Actually, I am wearing a white shirt doing this episode, so I am lying a little bit. I like it. Um, The reason why we're talking Jennifer's body today is our special guest. And I will have to say that the Internet will be happy for this one because I think he is their leader. Sir Connor (laughs) Franza is joining us today. (laughs) Jennifer's body is his selection. And uh, yeah, 45% rotten, but has an audience score of 35% rotten. I'm still shocked by that. But before we bring on Connor and have him break down why he thinks it's awesome, why don't we do a quick trip, uh, Mr. Mark, if you will, sir, into the events of Jennifer's body. I am happy to because this is a film about two ladies in high school who have divergent past, but somehow they at least think that they're each other's best friend. You have Jennifer, played by Megan Fox, who is the... The, the one that every boy in school hopes maybe someday would go to prom with them. And then you have Needy, played by Amanda Seyfried, who's a little more of the nerdy type. Now, she has a boyfriend who's, you know, not necessarily a jock, not necessarily one of the, the theater kids, just sort of in between. And then you have all the different high school fellas and ladies that walk into their lives. But here's where it gets weird. After a tragedy at a rock club, Needy notices that Jennifer isn't, who she used to be exactly, and she starts to piece together that Jennifer might have actually been taken over by some sort of demon implanted in her by one of the members of the club, uh, the, the rock band that was playing at the club, and now all these people go missing, and it seems to be a lot of those high school boys that we just can't find anymore, and they die in these weird, grotesque ways. What is going on? Needy thinks she knows the answer, and she thinks that Jennifer is that answer. Dun, dun, dun. No, it's really dun, good. Dun. Uh, look, and with that premise, you would be so shocked to hear how much both audiences and critics really sort of gave this movie the thumbs down. But as what happens with so many things, there has been, I would say, a sort of shift in recent years. But 
Why don't we go ahead and take a moment before we uh, go to discuss the ins and outs and why people didn't like it is get Tim Ryan, our review curation manager, to take us back to 2009 so maybe he can explain why folks did not agree with us about the greatness of Jennifer's body. In a little segment we like to call Two Minutes with Tim. When Jennifer's Body was released in 2009, it was largely criticized for being a horror movie with too few scares and too many zingers. But in the ensuing years, Jennifer's Body has undergone something of a critical reappraisal, with Karin Kusama's direction and Diablo Cody's script gaining new admirers for a level of subversion that many initially overlooked. Jennifer's Body is at 45% with 209 reviews and a 35% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Christy Lemire of the Associated Press wrote, Jennifer's body is never scary, and it's only sporadically amusing. However, in a fresh review, Dana Stevens of Slate wrote, Kusama and Cody's collaboration is a wicked black comedy with unexpected emotional resonance, one of the most purely pleasurable movies of the year so far. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, Jennifer's body features occasionally clever dialogue, but its horror comedy premise ultimately fails to be consistently funny or scary enough to satisfy. So yeah, that's Jennifer's body. Time for me to moveon.org. Back to you, folks. <laughs> moveon.org. Hey. Well done, Tim. I, I will say, uh, well done, sir. Especially with moveon.org yep. uh, call out. But we will talk about more of the iconic lines from Jennifer's body as we will now bring on our certified fresh guest, Mr. Connor Franta, where he will talk about his love for the film and break down his new book, House Fires. So, Without further ado, please have a listen to our chat, Connor Franta. Our special guest today is Connor Franta. He's a multi-talented artist who got his start on YouTube and has become a New York Times bestselling author, entrepreneur, and activist. He has a new book coming out, House Fires, which functions as a conclusion to the journey of Connor, outlined in his previous New York Times bestselling books, work in progress and note to self. Through his writing and photographs, Connor reflects on himself and the world during tumultuous times and seeks to provide a safe space for readers everywhere. We are going to get more into the book, but first allow us to welcome to the show and thank him for such a great subject. Connor, how you doing, sir? Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm doing very well, bright and early here in Los Angeles. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same. Well, I should say bright and early for Los Angeles. I'm from Texas, so this is late. But in Los Angeles, 9 a.m. is the earliest you can do anything without people uh, being upset. I think for I'm sure. right on that. Mark, oh, for sure. you, you do early morning stuff, though. Now I do early morning stuff, which is still a trip for me to do because I wake up at like 6 a.m. and I either have to go to the radio station or I'm working out. And I'm like, who am I? But it all comes <laughs> Back to the center of who I really am around noon when I get to take my first nap of the day, which is just the best feeling in the world. If, if folks, if you're listening and you're not napping out there, you got to realize rest is the best way to prevent yourself from becoming a demon one day, which is sort of the subject of the movie we're talking about. Yeah, great, great, great segue. Oh I'm my serious gosh. though. It's the only reason I'm on the show. I mean, he, he does it quite well. I, I do have to say, thank you so much for the selection, Connor. Um, I, I love it when, okay, all of the 
the ones that we review for the most part are great. But when it's one that I'm like, oh no, I have biblical and intimate knowledge of Jennifer's body. It's also one of the selections from our book, <laughs> Rotten Movies We Love. Uh, tell us about it. It's 40, 45% rotten with a 35% rotten audience score. Again, I'm just so confused, but it ain't right. It ain't right. It's wrong. <laughs> it's like, it's just not fair in any way possible. I know the world isn't, but this is wrong. And I refuse to participate in this system. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. It's like Jennifer's body is one of those films where if I go on a date with somebody, I bring it up almost every time of like, I need to gauge your level of taste. If you don't, if you haven't seen it, that's one thing. But if you have seen it and you don't think it's the most amazing film of all time, we have an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, that is, that is not, no humor there. It is true. <laughs> Can someone get past that? Or is it like they're really going under the eight ball? Like, could someone, could someone like woo you if they didn't like Jennifer's body? Or is it really like this is a deal breaker? It's political. Can you really get past it? Can you really get past it? <laughs> it's so funny, too, because like that's one of those movies where if you bring it's a risk to bring up on a first date because you bring it up and so many people who haven't seen the movie, because I hadn't seen it until this week, and you you have that perception of how the movie was marketed, which we'll talk about later, but you think it's just going to be this sort of sophomoric boys ogling hot girls sort of movie, and it ends up turning all of those tropes on their ear. But yep. again, if you're out on a date and you just remember the movie coming out or maybe the poster, then it needs a little bit of salesmanship to get to get them there. So this is that, that that's a good movie. It's a nice line of demarcation to bring up if you're in a budding relationship. Most most definitely start off with a little bit of tension. It's always yeah. great. And I'm that poster is talk about false advertising. I have never. I'm just so upset with that poster and Megan Fox, uh, another one of these stars that were like yeah, we didn't treat her the best. But real quick, Connor, since it's at 45, where do you think it should be on the tomato meter? Uh, if you were going to give it a score and why do you think it's like similarly amazing? I, I think so. Yeah. 45 is completely wrong. Um, that's trash. Don't agree with that in any way, but I, it's obviously not a perfect film. It's not like I'm talking this, this is a film that everyone will love and everyone will appreciate every scene. It definitely has its target audience. Hence why it's basically a cult classic at this point. Um, so I, I feel like I'd be comfortable giving it more of a, like a, like a 90 to 92, something in there. It's not, you know, it's not perfect 100, but I do think it is, I, I've never once watched that film and not had the best time of my week watching that film. It's yeah. so enjoyable to, to watch. Uh, I actually had to do a different screening the other night. Carney, you don't know this, but a little, uh, I work in the awards space right now. So this is sort of like my, my like, retail season if you work in retail this is like you know my heaviest time so i actually woke up early to watch it this morning at like 7 a.m and i've seen it like 10 <laughs> times so it's just like a revisit but even at 7 a.m i'm singing little shoulders talking about how douchey adam brody is like i was so about it ron taylor's so wrong about this book i've gotten to talk to some of the people involved in the production of this and the one thing i will say although justice was not given to this movie at its time the evolution of its appreciation has actually been just an absolutely beautiful thing to behold. And it feels so in line with my favorite uh, sort of like cult classic coming of age, which y'all can't see, but I literally have a quote for it right here. 
Heather's. Like this oh. is my, this is like, I feel like the the 2000s girls Heather's. And so yes. I think it's completely wrong. I would put it in like the 80, 85 range, but still passing with, uh, with flying colors. Mark, what about you? Where would you put it as a first time viewer? Yeah, I just have to thank Connor for not only being on the show, but also for getting me to finally see this movie that I have heard about how good it is and how it's nothing like it was marketed for the decade plus that it's been out. And I just never quite made it to actually seeing the flick. And I had a great time watching it. I love the way that it's horror married with comedy and it gets a little absurd. And that's the point of the movie. And the, these are the kind of films that I love because we just made it through the Halloween season. So there's plenty of straight horror movies you can watch. There's plenty of straight comedies you can watch. But when you can meld something and make it this distinct, then that's what I appreciate. And so I'd probably put it somewhere between the, the, the two great engineers of this film that I didn't know were at the time, Karen Kusama, who has The Invitation. And that's like 89% on the yeah. tomato meter, which is a great film. And then Diablo Cody, who everybody probably still remembers wrote Juno, but I loved Young Adult, and that's 80% on the tomato yeah. meter. So I'm going to say it's right in between those two. I, I'm going to give it like an 85%. Thoroughly enjoyed my time with Jennifer's Body. And Molly the Wonder Dog was watching it with me, and she was awake for the whole movie. Usually <laughs> never happens. Yeah, I will say uh, playing this movie early in the morning because it is so iconic. Like somebody heard me like playing it and they're like, are you watching Jennifer's Body at 7 a.m.? Yes, I am. Because <laughs> that's it's Texas. The, that's the, the that's Jacqueline's Texas. <laughs> you got a problem with that? woke up early. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I am. I, by the way, also military family. There was no sleeping in. Like, I am always like these people are like, your mom let you sleep past nine? Who are, like, I, I don't know. She would come in and say, God gave us a beautiful day. You need to go enjoy it. And anything after that, you couldn't argue with Jesus. So uh, <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. True that. Um, so let's talk about the first time we saw it, because this came for me. And what's interesting as, as sort of a segue later to uh, House Fire, it's it's the messy point in between adolescence and adulthood for me. I wasn't 30, but I was after, it was after college. And I very much, um, that messy point that you talk about in the book, this is where I was when this movie came out and going to see a film like this with my friends at the Alamo Draft House in Austin, Texas, might I add, was everything. Like that was, that was like the safest, most responsible activity we did at that time. Um, so it really hit on and it made me be like, we were not these cool kids, but I knew from knowing Diablo Cody, we were the cool kids that could write these stories. Mm. We were all needy, but we could write stories like Jennifer's body. We could direct and like, that was the, the sort of shift for me in that point. And not long after that, I started doing this job. So it fit. But what about you, Connor? What was the first time you saw this? That's great. I, um, I, I guess kind similar, but earlier. So it came out in two, 2009. Uh, which would have placed me, uh, I graduated high school in 2011, so that would have placed me in 10th grade. Uh, and I believe I watched it the, the week, month it came out, um, or I guess the, the week, month it came in to, uh, to DVD, because I remember specifically watching it. One of my friends had this great uh, basement TV setup that we like to you know, dub as a movie theater, but it was literally a TV in a basement. Um, and they had like a great couch. So we would always go over to her house and watch films. But we were like, we were the group of kind of weird kids. Like we weren't quite theater kids, 
And we were cut. So it was like we were friends with the theater kids, but we were also friends with the emo kids, but we weren't necessarily either of them. So we would watch movies like this and just like laugh our asses off. We thought it was so funny and so amazing. And no one else in our school was really watching it or talking about it. But we just thought it was the best movie ever. And this became one of our favorite films to watch. And we so we watched it in her basement as you know, high schoolers trying to figure ourselves out and just thought it was like the greatest thing that it was ever created. And we unintentionally, you know, fell into it. We didn't have anyone recommend it to us. We just thought, oh my God, Megan Fox being like a hot demon. Awesome. Love that. Put it on. <laughs> Best casting ever. Yes. Uh, um, Mark, you saw it for the first time, obviously for this one. But the one thing I think is interesting about this film is just how smart it is and the writing of it still feels very authentic. So from my generation, Connor, because when you said 10th grade at 2009, literally my heart, I, fe- I felt like, oh, oh, good Lord. Sanford, Jack. I mean, serious. I'm coming, Elizabeth. No, because also <laughs> just being this accomplished, it's, it's incredible to think of everything that you've achieved um, in this amount of time. And, and again, already kicking it off with great taste choosing Jennifer's body. But again, how smart this movie is and and what Diablo was able to write and the visuals that Karen was able to put on top of it. There's so many great lines and great Mm -hmm. scenes from it. It's almost kind of hard to choose, but I will ask you what was, what was your favorite scene or more importantly, what was the scene where you knew, Oh, this is different. Like I am, I am in a different movie. Like this is my tea. I'm about it. It's like I it's from like the opening scenes that you know it's you know it's something special and it it really is a difficult film to pick like a favorite line or a favorite scene because there it just it just hits it's like a perfect rhythm throughout the entire film I didn't find that there was a lull I didn't find there was a boring spot or an unnecessary scene I genuinely enjoy everything and it's because of Megan Fox's great delivery of the character and the lines mm-hmm. um some of my favorite lines uh include it smells like thai food in here have you two been fucking yeah <laughs> and, it's, and it's it's fantastic oh hi chip it smells like thai food in here have you guys been fucking oh, you're gross you're gross you're gross you're so gross you're <laughs> let's go to the club um another yeah. one is when megan fox is in the kitchen she's first become a demon and um, um, Amanda's character, it like discovers her in the kitchen eating a, like a raw chicken. And yeah. she goes, my mom got that from the Boston market. And she <laughs> says it's so like disturbed. It's just such great delivery. And then like the classic line of, I'm not killing people, I'm killing boys. boys. It's just yeah. so good. It's so memorable. It's her delivery yeah. in every line. Yeah. Um, I I have a hard time, but I will say this. So what was interesting watching it again recently was when we got to the Adam Brody uh, playing Nicola, the just completely douchey emo indie rocker who thinks he's going to be Adam Levine and and is ripping it off for every (laughs) ounce he can, was that whole scene where they killed Jennifer. Like that to me was why this was so smart writing because it's really one of the scariest moments of the movie. And the one where the violence is actually the worst, I would think, which is crazy to think you watch a succubus kill 
so many boys on the other scenes, but that was the one where it was like, it just felt so visceral with the violence. But right before he's about to stab, he starts singing Jenny, like eight six seven five three zero nine, And I was like, give this woman an Oscar. Like that was such a left turn that completely fit and, and just made me both laugh and be disturbed at the same time, which is kind of the whole theme of the movie. Wait a second, I just thought of something. Jenny, Jenny, you're the girl for me. You, know, you don't know me, but you make me so happy. I tried to call you before, but I lost my nerve. I used my imagination, but I was disturbed. Jenny, I got your number. I need to make you mine. So I I love that one. And also them convincing each other that this was the right thing to do. And also being dumb enough to think Jennifer was a virgin. Again, all all of the stupidity involved with them. Uh, Mark, what about you? Do you have a favorite scene? Well, anytime you can work the great 80s band Tommy Two-Tone into a scene, then I'm going to be on board. But... My favorite scene, because Connor and I are around the same age in terms of both of our ages are a number. Um, (laughs) I love the way that high school is portrayed because it does remind me of when I was in high school in the late 90s where you have all these different groups. Like even Connor, you said, okay, I I wasn't quite a theater kid. I wasn't quite that. And so I was just lucky that I was kind of like the blade of my high school. Not that I was half vampire, but I could kind of walk in 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 different circles and you see that in this movie you see that as much as we're lampooning tropes of high school you do have kids that sort of cross over because you have colin who is sort of like that emo kid but but also it gets deeper than just that and and you have jocks that are more than just jocks and they all have distinct personalities but my favorite part about this movie is the way the town is reacting to all of these things that are happening it's it reminded me of jaws where how is how is you know amity island looking at this shark attacking people and what are we going to do about it and the way that this sleepy town handles all of these things and, and my favorite scene shows the different ways that you can handle a tragedy even in real time because it is the scene where the rock club is burning down and we have a poor Amanda Seyfried is just like, um, guys, this there's people dying. Should we help them? And so Needy is just so concerned. Jennifer could not care less. Like she doesn't even notice it. And that is buoyed by the fact that Nikolai doesn't care either. And so he's like, well, you want to go make out in her van? That's kind of what groupies and rock stars do after a show. And Needy is just like, what world, what twilight zone am I? Where's Rod Serling smoking a cigarette to inform me that I'm in a completely different part? And it's just that spell that can get cast over someone. I loved watching it. And right there and then I, I was I was hooked into what this movie was doing. Yeah, no, that is fair. Um, it, it's also so interesting to see, like, <laughs> the fact that that uh, that Needy was literally the only person who understood any of it. I'll, the girl later in the science class, I forget her name, but she was like, kept calling Needy a lesbian because, she, you know, <laughs> lesbian. Again, d- exactly debatable, but very coarse for her to say that. She was like, it's on the Wikipedia. Like these saved people. And I was like, but that was 2009. In 2009, we really didn't believe everything was on Wikipedia. We threw away our Britannicas and we're like, this is it now. And it's real and live and none of it is made up or stupid. 
I forgot about her character. I love her character so much. She's so great. <laughs> Let's be real. The like pseudo lesbian teen coming of age that she <laughs> thought she's not wrong. Yeah. She's oh no. Very much not wrong. But everyone comes to their journey on their own. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. I, when I was when I was watching that movie, I thought I was straight. So <laughs> <laughs> I saw that line and I'm like, not me. She's not looking. She's not looking at the lens talking to me. I'm not a lesbian. <laughs> Not I. <laughs> not I. Not under. Um, the, not in this basement. <laughs> not in this basement. I love it. Um, Connor. Uh, but again, we we've, we've definitely talked about some other ones. But if there's any other moment or line that you want to shout out, I do feel like we can give it like at least two rounds of it. Um, if there's anything else, because there's so much, and we've mostly done the beginning stuff. We haven't even talked about the second half. I know. I'm like, there are so many. I feel like one of the more too underappreciated characters is, um, and, and forgive me, what's his name again? The um, Anidi's boyfriend. Yeah, um, by Johnny he, Simmons. Yeah, yeah he, he has so many great uh, moments ship. too, yeah. where yeah. he's just like a an insecure boy and he says some line about a bow flex about being like mom of course i'll be safe i've been hitting the bow flex and like <laughs> it's just like his demeanor the entire film is so because you know he's like a, a genuine like a rare genuine high school boy yeah and you're like that's really sweet to see but he does have these like super corny moments where he's like clearly just trying to be like the cool high school boy to his girlfriend and and him talking about hitting a bow flex, but he's, you know, like a little toothpick. It's just, yeah. there's so many moments with him that I think are underappreciated. Um, Mark, do you have another another key moment that you that you liked from watching it last night? It's sort of one of those things that really first was shed the light up for me anyway, when I saw Mean Girls, where it's like, oh yeah, teachers are, are people. And then you grow, because when you're a kid in high school, you just revere teachers and teachers do great work and they are underpaid. But then you get to be an adult and you actually have friends that became teachers and you're like, oh, you're just as dumb as the rest of us. You're not any smarter <laughs> than anyone else. And so yeah. it's just this little scene where it, in the woods currently, this poor jock is getting his guts ripped out by Megan Fox this is Jennifer. But J.K. Simmons <laughs> realizes that a tragedy has happened and all he wants to do is comfort the kids and just be that rock for them. And he hears the screams from the woods and he just says, there you go. Let it all out. I know it's tough. But then he keeps <laughs> listening. He's like, wait, what What exactly is this scream? God. Let it all out, kids. It, it was just one of those things where there's so many things going on with the kids in this high school and the adults in typical adult fashion. They may be smart. They may be successful, well-educated. They can't put a finger on exactly what these kids are feeling. And that's mm -hmm. sort of reflective as to how critics were reviewing Jennifer's body at the time. They just couldn't quite get the pulse of what this movie was trying to do. Yeah. And I think even the people who maybe got it and liked it felt it was reductive to the film that I mentioned earlier, which is Heather's. Like a lot of people felt like it was just trying to retread that or a less smart Juno in certain respects because mm -hmm. Diablo Cody, because this is where my stupid Oscar knowledge like gets, um, gets people to think. There was a bit of a backlash to Juno winning because it was just like this quirky not necessarily 12 years a slave type movie that won out against some other ones because it was such a crowd pleaser mm -hmm. and when diablo goes up there and accepts her award with her sleeve tattoo you can just see the shift with some of the academy members where they were just 
not about it. And yeah. I think that this point, it was sort of like when Quentin follows up with Jackie Brown, like they're like, is this all you got? Like they really didn't understand that she was going to create an entire style and an entire, I think, uh, like a watershed moment in writing and the type of writing that we sort of revered and liked and that it could be smart and it could be kids. And just people weren't necessarily on board with it. Um, also, Diablo Cody, shout out. She is the only person ever to win writing for an Oscar and Tony. So she has won Ooh. best writing on like a book. Like um, you've had people do it with the music, but like dialogue writing, she's the only person to ever win an Oscar for dialogue writing and a Tony. So the woman knows what she's doing um, when it comes to the pen. I, one of my favorite scenes real quick, and I'll say it also one of my favorite lines when JK Simmons is like, you and Jennifer have nothing in common. And he clocks just how these two are really not friends. They just have a shared history, which that really taps into female friendship of that age and female friendships as they get older. That's why this was so smartly written. But the scene um, at the end uh, when Needy goes and gets low shoulders for what they did, because every time they pop up and don't get me wrong, that's a very catchy song. Song is very mm -hmm. catchy. Not going <laughs> to pretend it's not. But every time they pop up, I'm literally just like, I hate them. They're the guy that got rid of, got, got away with everything and and girls are still fawning over them so when she comes and gets him oh living for that moment so i really do love that scene very little dialogue and it's just her being like yeah i'm coming for you son um let's see um well i'll, I'll put it to you this way connor we've talked about a few of them did anybody spot a before he was famous when he was still mr Anathoris, uh chris uh chris pratt oh yeah him? Every time I watch this film and he shows up in that bar scene, I think I forget he's in this movie for a moment. It's very, it's like very, even, even J.K. Simmons, it's like you forget they're there and they pop up and they look a little bit ridiculous. Like J.K. Simmons wig and his hook hand and everything. You're just like, it goes completely under the radar until like you let it dwell in your mind for a moment. But yeah, Chris Pratt's scene was just so so random i guess yeah it was fun seeing chris pratt at the bar and you're like oh that's before you know he he got the gym membership with the mcu and then you also have i was so i, I sat up in my chair yesterday and when, when i saw amy sedaris as needy's mom because i'm like is that amy that is amy sedaris oh this is great so it really is a, a collection of talent but th they all work their characters in service of the script like they all clearly got it and so i think that's why we continue to celebrate a movie like this is that the cast knew what they were they knew they had something special and mm -hmm. it's just it comes out to the world and it's just this different thing that's perceived by the outside but within that bubble of making the movie they all bought in and i think it pays off yeah it's so interesting too i mean there's a lot of folks that um i think have shown their talents later on there's a lot of folks that maybe didn't get their um their um I guess the best treatment, because when you look at the two leads and you look at Amanda and when you look at Megan, this is a very smart choice for Megan, actually, I think, in her career. You know, this is right after Transformers, but before anything else. And I think she was trying to subvert the sort of sex bomb thing that she got labeled because she just so happened to be an extra when she was 15 for Michael Bay. For folks that don't know the story, uh, Megan Fox was an extra in background, I think in Bad Boys too. Michael Bay was like, oh, her, we want to get her to do like this really adult dance um, in this club. And everyone's like, she's 15. You can't do that. And he's like, all right, well, then give her basically a wet T-shirt contest dance on top of a bar. That's how she ended up in Bad Boys, too. And then he became obsessed with her and he cast her in Transformers. 
not saying that it's uh, anything against that, but she's come back to say it's like looking back on it, it's not probably the most appropriate thing to be thinking about a 15 year old girl is like how much she's a sex bomb. And this choice, I think, is a really great subversion of that. Right. I, I don't know. It, yeah, no, I agree. But then, of course, naturally, it, it was flipped on its head. And the reason this movie bombed is because they, the producers or the marketing, whatever, what have you, did the exact same thing. It was marketed as like a Megan Fox's hot film. And yeah. it's A, so much more than that, although she is very hot in it. Um, but B, like, it's just, there are so many different ways you could have marketed it. And it feels like they chose the obvious, a horror or just like a hot like a hot girl film and it's 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 somewhere completely in between that so it feels like the reason it wasn't given a chance is because people were walked into it thinking it was one thing and it was so much so different from what it actually was yeah i mean i've I've been a fan of movies my whole life and so the fact that i did not i had no idea diablo cody wrote this it, it speaks to the marketing where okay she won an academy award for juno you're not putting that anywhere in the poster you're, you're not throwing that in the ads you're just throwing the hot girl from transformers in here and yeah. she had such a negative experience and such a fallout but it seems like hollywood took the the studio and the director's side in that for whatever reason and so she was just kind of left hung out to dry when this is a movie that proves she does have talent and she does have yeah. ability in addition to how hot she is. And she uses all of that stuff in this. And she's luring in the same sort of, you know, teenage boy mentality. And it's like all of us coming to Transformers, you know, in, in droves. And then it's like, well, this is what I'm going to do to you now. This is what I'm doing. I'm feeding on the perception you have of me and I'm mm-hmm. going to destroy you for it unless mm-hmm. unless every dude wises up and grows up and realizes that is not the way to look at a female. Yeah. I also will say, too, with with this one, um, um, and this is like a bit of a name drop, but this is, of course, my thing. But I got to interview Karen uh, for um, the one that she did with Nicole Kidman. And now it is completely uh, destroyer. Destroyer. Thank you. I love I love when Jacqueline does this because, you know, she's going to do a name drop when she only does the first name. Yeah. She's yeah. Like, she, yeah. She just said Karen. Hey. I mean, she's the director. We know. <laughs> OK. Karen, uh, very much. No, you know, it's um, funny because I was talking with Oprah the other day, uh, Oprah shut Winfrey. Up, and, um, shut up. We said oh, Megan. Were, we said Amanda. Now I say Karen and it's a name mm. drop. Shade. I'm done. You were, talk- you were talking. That's that's sweet that you were talking. I was hanging out actually with Oprah the other day. I was not. She's actually Listen, here right now. That's really. Yeah. This is why this review. is a problem because I have a good thing about this. Like, she talks about this movie and before this became the movie that people like have had this cult status with it, her career took a big hit because of doing this movie. This was her first big sort of studio thing and it did not go well at all. And it wasn't until honestly the invitation when she went back to her really, really indie roots, a movie that she had to self finance. Like she's mm-hmm. like, my husband was like basically being a production assistant on that. Like the entire thing was done with favors. That was the only thing that got her back in because people do not forgive female directors any faux pas. Look at, look, Catherine Hardwick directed Twilight, one of the biggest movies ever. It grossed so much money and she couldn't get work for five years. Same thing with Sam Taylor Johnson after she directed Fifty Shades of Grey. Say what you want about Fifty Shades of Grey. That movie was at the behest of the woman who wrote it. She Mm -hmm. really was like on set directing it every day, would not allow, basically she kind of had final cut. And so Sam Taylor Johnson didn't get to make the movie that she wanted to make. She couldn't, she had to wait five years before she was able to move a movie again. So I don't know. 
Yeah, no, it's it's wild. Because I mean, again, like I see, well, especially when you like reference Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey, it's like, at what point do you see something is successful then? Because like yeah. those were clearly successful. I mean, maybe they don't have great, great scores from critics, but that doesn't mean it's not successful. They made money. They, they you know, turned heads. They made headlines. So yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's the typical um, patriarchy trying to put down uh the 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 female population the in in any way possible essentially finding the thing that they find to be wrong and then making it the the headline which was this film i mean the, apparently this film was like completely marketed only towards boys um young boys the the audience uh whom saw it ahead of time were only like young boys so they were critiquing it being like it's not hot enough or it's not scary enough and it's like just that that was like where you went wrong in the very beginning. It was never giving a shot before it before it even had a chance. It's almost like the movie was was too early. It it, it kind of came before its mm -hmm. time because you look at something like Get Out, which isn't it, there. There is a lot of similar DNA with, with Jennifer's body to Get Out because you are you're basically telling a story as an allegory for a lot of real world issues and. With Get Out, it was marketed the way that, it, that that's I had a set of expectations from the marketing of Get Out and I walked in and those were rewarded and those were elevated. Whereas with Jennifer's Body, maybe just back in 2009, it, it, it might just be as simple as we weren't ready for it. We weren't ready for this kind of story told by these kind of characters. And so you love seeing movies like this to get a second wind and, and get that cult following after the fact. I will say it's nice to know that even though the movie didn't crush at the box office, I think it did like $34 million. It only cost 14 million bucks to make. So it yeah. was still somewhat profitable. But, it, but, but again, that speaks to your point, Jacqueline and yours, Connor, where it's like, okay, well, Karen Kusama made a profitable movie for a studio, shoestring budget. It made money. It was a profit of 20 mil. Where's my next movie? Oh, I got to wait six years to have anything yeah. else come out. That's that's that, that doesn't seem right. No, it definitely doesn't. But the one thing I will say too, is I think it's the great thing about entertainment is everything is a snapshot. And the snapshot of what Jennifer's body was in 2009 is completely different now. And there have been so many folks, not just, you know, Connor, who's, I think, been leading the charge <laughs> in his own life. But there's been so many, um, I would say, oral histories. Uh, when the anniversary came up, the film was out like it was a premiere again. Um, and I think that is more interesting. And the thing that came out when the anniversary came is Megan Fox says she wants to do a TV show. Connor, are you signing up for Jennifer's body TV show? Um, I, oh God, I'm so conflicted because of course I'll give it, I'll give it a shot and I, you know, I'll support my fave to the very <laughs> end. But sometimes I think that it, it's great just to like tie a bow around it and let it be. And I think it, it, it is, it's getting better with time and it's aging really well that you almost just let it, let it be. I mean, they tried to do a Heather's reboot and look how that went. Facts. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they did. I didn't. Yeah. Even, I watched one episode and it really hurt me, and it made me feel like those guys are like you're ruining my childhood. So I just I pretended it didn't happen anymore. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. I mean, if you had asked me when I was a kid, would I do I want a, a show based on this movie? I love Teen Wolf. I'd say hell yes, but yeah. I, I I actually have no basis if the MTV Teen Wolf show is good or bad. There's a scream show too i think that they were doing yeah, for a little was, bit yeah so mm -hmm. it, but jennifer's body it, it seems like there there's a lot of fun we can have in a world like that where it maybe if megan fox returns 
as Jennifer, it could be a different role. It could be one of those now. She's the adult. She's one of the teachers. She could be J.K. Simmons. It, I, I'm not sure how they would want to frame it, but it would be an interesting experiment because now the world is, is has proven that it is ready for a story like this. So can we just do the same story that we did in 2009 as a TV show? I, I would say it's a worthwhile experiment, but I'm also pumped because Megan Fox is going to be kicking ass in Expendables 4. So... You know, yes. we get some good news and there's another Expendables movie, kids. Yes. Yes. Uh, look, and Megan Fox is what, 36, 37, maybe 38 now and literally is winning every red carpet that she's on and seems to be living her best life, honestly. So I, I think uh, I'm excited to see what her next chapters are, because like I can definitely see her as one of these people who sort of says some women really age into what they're meant to be. And I could definitely see that for her. You know what I mean? I could see a lot of her. I used to be the hot girl, but I'm going to do something different and fun and really sort of uh, turn that on its head. There's a movie right now by Sean Baker called Red Rocket that stars Simon mm-hmm. Rex. I'm and so that is to say it. very much the same thing. Like there's a reason why Simon Rex worked for that because he used to be Simon Rex. And so casting him now in this, it's just the perfect casting. I want to see, I want to see Megan Fox's version of Red Rocket. I'll put that out. There. I, I agree. It's like, it's like um, even like comparing to Twilight, like we did before. Um, I'm excited to see Kristen Stewart and Spencer. Like I am exactly. excited to see Kristen Stewart do something that's completely out of her wheelhouse and in a realm that I didn't think she'd ever go into, but I knew that she could. And I know that Megan Fox will will inevitably do something like that. But if she if she does things like Jennifer's body again, like happy to support that as well, you know? Happy to whatever whatever her dream is for herself, I'm there for it. Where does a uh, where does low shoulder rank on y'all's like all time movie bands <laughs> list? It's up there. That, that tune it is, is pretty there. catchy. I mean, it's not as good as as Teenage Suicide Don't Do It or that thing you do. But it's up there. That it's thing you do there. is a good call. I, really I I would always go back to Eddie and the Cruisers, but I feel like Low Shoulder is is climbing the list be, just because I found that song as the perfect song that a small town would use to rally around and get around a tragedy like this. Fun fact, that, can y'all name that there was an actual rock star that they approached to play the role of Adam Brody? They might have just had informal talks. Do you know who the rock star is, who could have had that role that Adam Brody had. I think the I'm, research would tell me, but I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah, who is it? You're just assuming I'm just a, a monkey that reads research, Jacqueline. I have my own thoughts, but yes, this is from the research that Mark Hawkmeyer did. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Mark. I know Mark would tell us this. So, so what is smart. it? Uh, the answer is Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy. They, uh, oh, they were, I think uh, they were considering, but then Fallout Boy had like a massive world tour, and and Pete, mm-hmm. I, I think, was probably not sure what the movie was going to be, and not sure if he wanted to play a character like that. And so I understand the hesitancy, but Adam Brody, perfect time for him to be playing a role like that, and I think it holds up well. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. It's it's one of those where I'm glad they didn't have too many f- familiar faces at the time in the movie like if they would have had that i think it would have taken me out of the universe in mm-hmm. some way so i think this was a perfect <laughs> semi look-alike kind of that worked exactly like it he really sold it like he sold that he was a an indie in in an indie rock band just trying yeah. to make it in this small town bar <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic it's like every cliche every cliche one. Um, mm-hmm. so sort of sum it up. I, I think when we sort of like, it's not even closing the chapter, closing this chapter on Jennifer's body, because again, it's had so many since 2009, 
Hi, what would you say to somebody who either hasn't seen it or maybe they had a wrong opinion? What would you sort of give as your elevator pitch for like why they need to see this and why it needs to be canonized? Why it's something that should be celebrated even now, now, you know, 11 years later? I think first and foremost, I would repitch it that, again, people don't understand that it's a dark comedy. It's not quite a horror and it's not quite a full on comedy. Like a lot of the jokes are so subtle. A lot of them are are very, you know, they're, the words are crafted in a way that like if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, I feel sorry for you. Um, so I would go into it with that mindset of like, you're not necessarily going to be scared, but if you allow yourself to fall into the ridiculousness that is all of these cliches, you'll have an absolute amazing time. But then also like, it's it's a beautifully written, beautifully filmed uh, piece of work as well. So go into it thinking like, you're going to see such a stylized uh, director kind of beginning their journey. And uh, I think just give it a shot and fill up a bowl of popcorn. You're gonna have a good time. Yeah. That's a great one. I will also add to, um, it's so weird, uh, Karen Kasama's first film is Girl Fight. That was the boxing movie with uh, Michelle Rodriguez. And then her second movie was Aeon Flux. And then it was Jennifer's Body. Poor poor lady. Poor lady. <laughs> just, got, just got raked over the coals with those two back to back. But then she did The Invitation. So yeah. let's, you know, everyone has their... Um, their journey through this. And she's still making great stuff and doing a lot of television stuff. Uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about House Fires, though, Connor, because I really uh, thank you for sending it to us. It's really great. It really does make me, as someone who's literally my job is to write things every day, I'm like, this kid has written three books and I can't, I can't. I'm, I'm like late on six drafts right now. <laughs> it's, it's a labor of love. It should have been at the. It should have been more appropriately called bar fires. Now that we're bar talking fires. about. It. Yeah, I was going to say you kind of transition right from Jennifer's body. Yeah. And and to Jacqueline's point, I'm I'm equally impressed and amazed because you know Connor, some of us start out doing doing YouTube and we're like, okay, I've done that's enough for this life. And but but you were just able to take that creativity and fuel it into tomes that that really speak to. To me, I, I love I love the way House Fires sorts of it, it, it paints every experience that we've all had because we like to think about our life in, in terms of highlights, it, like like what would our Instagram feed be? But it really is the other stuff that you go through, the the, the pain and and some of the suffering and the the tragedies in our life, the misconnections that we have that inform how we look at the world. And so it, it was one of those things that I remember hearing like in the 90s, Michael Jordan talking about after he retired from the Bulls, where it's like, it's not all about the shots that you make, it's about the shots you miss. And it's all those little details that seem very chaotic at the time. But then you look back on it and you say, oh, that's why I became the person that I am now, because I had to go through all that stuff. Most definitely. I mean, that's that's what I enjoy writing about or reflecting on, talking about. So I figured I might as well make it into a book. I mean, it's kind of the seemingly both like unimportant, unnoticed moments, as well as the ones that everyone seems to want to like sweep under the rug. Like I love talking about, uh, I guess, like the like the um, I like I like talking about like the moments that that no one seems to like discussing such as like death, such as mental health, such as um, identity politics. I think those are the more interesting topics because there is no definitive answer for everyone. So there, it's so open-ended 
that it really can shape you as a person. Uh, so I, I dive into a lot of that within House Fires. And, you know, those, I, like, it's called House Fires essentially because I find those moments of questioning one's reality to be, in a way, a burning down of a house and then building up into another house of who you are in that moment. And you bu burn yourself down and then you build yourself up again. And, like, that can be seen as tragic, but I think it's more of, like, beauty and po and poetry of how we go through the strange thing that we call life. Yeah, I mean, it's about renewal in a lot of ways. And I do love the section that you that you've sort of centered in on, which is this time in your life. And, you know, like I want to call it the sort of um, the messy pre 30s, post 30s, early 30s. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the entire shows have been around this insecure girls. These are all around the same sort of time period. But putting it in book form, I'm just curious, when you finished your second book, was the thought that this was going to be a trilogy, was there a moment of sort of like, mm, I need to I need to sit back down and sort of start this next this next story because I feel like there's stuff to be said or was it always planned out? I, I just think there's so much there's there's quite a bit of turbulence that happens between the ages of like 18 and 32, you know, in the roughly in your 20s that it would be a disservice for me to not capture it in an authentic way that, you know, I, I think that uh, a lot of people are like, how, you know, like, what could you possibly have to say at such a young age? And I'm like, it doesn't like, that's like saying that a 16 year old musician can't write a beautiful song or uh, a 13 year old can't deliver an amazing performance in an Oscar winning film. Mm. I'm like, it's not, it's not that they won't do something better, but it doesn't mean what they are doing in that moment isn't worth listening to or worth seeing um, or experiencing that perspective. So for me, I definitely didn't think that this would be a trilogy. You know, God forbid, I didn't even think I'd write one book. But I had such a, such a blast diving into myself and my thoughts and my feelings and in a way performing an autopsy on my own mind and existence that it just kept feeling like a necessity. After the second one, I just never really stopped writing writing poetry and examining my own experience that before I knew it, I'm like, oh, I'm unintentionally writing a third book and I, I didn't even quite realize it. I better begin the pitch because it's happening whether I like it or not, or not. What's your writing process like? Do you have it, do you have it down to a science where is it, it, are you more productive in the morning? Are you one of those folks we see at the coffee shop that has to bring their laptop and just feel that public stimulus around? Or is there, are you just like closed off in some sort of room and you're just, you're, you're kind of JD soundering it, just like everybody get away from me for 72 hours. I'm going to write as much as I can. How, how does Connor Franta go about writing? A, a healthy mixture of, of the two. So some of it, I do, I do find uh, being in a public setting, you are really stimulated by the spon spontaneity of people's actions around you or the conversations happening will inform what you're writing about. So I do, I do kind of like that electricity of being in a coffee shop or a restaurant and taking in your surroundings. But there are times where I just need the solitude of my own thoughts and my own experience. So I would, I, I went to a few Airbnbs like in the middle of the woods and near the and near the sea, and was just alone for a week and just you know going for a run in the morning and writing all afternoon, then going for a walk in the evening and seeing if I could write a little bit more with like a glass of wine or something, and then just like seeing what could come out of it. And I think both did service to, to my writing, but. By no means uh, am I am I a perfect writer. God, there were so many moments where I would just try and I would just look at a blank screen or a blank <laughs> piece of paper and hours would go by and nothing would occur. 
and maybe I would finally catch my rhythm and it would all flow out of me in like, you know, an hour or something. But God, there's so many times where you just stare and have no idea where to begin. Oh, at least you're staring at the page. I'd be staring at Instagram. Like I'm not staring at the page. The page is there. It's supposed to be there, but also Twitter. Like there's all kinds of shopping sites that I can like literally get lost in. It's it's the worst. Um, The biggest risk about writing in a public setting like a coffee shop is that they have a Wi-Fi connection and (laughs) you just have to, you got to be so tab disciplined where you don't open anything else. You got to close all the Twitter. You got to close all the Amazon tabs. And you just, well, you should listen to this show, obviously, if you're out there listening <laughs> to it. You put this show on, particularly get inspired by Connor, and then that's how you write. Then then yeah. you, you just eliminate everything else. That Airbnb trick, though, I've done that before, and it is a godsend because you're just in a different location. Life feels simpler. And like Mm -hmm. you said, I'm just going to go up. I'm going to get some exercise. I'm going to write. And that's all I'm going to do all day. I'm a big fan of the reward system. So if... If I write for a few hours, it's like, well, then I'm going to go get that donut. Or if I, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> or it's like, if I have a really good writing day, it's like Postmates, Postmates, Uber Eats, whatever's <laughs> yeah. happening, party yeah. tonight. So it, it, I incentivize myself in that way. Um, but yeah, the, the Airbnb trick definitely works too, because you're in a new city. So the faster you write a chapter, the quicker you can go explore that city. Again, reward system mm-hmm. works very well for me. <laughs> I like that. Uh, also, um, this is not the only thing, obviously, that you have going on, but you're out here doing the book tour. Is there um, what should folks be keeping an eye on for you coming up next? Besides, again, if they haven't picked up, pick up the book. But uh, yeah. what else? What can we keep an eye on for? Uh, I'm doing a lot of behind the scenes, you know, writing projects. So I think uh, you can keep an eye out for some potentially more long form projects that I'm working on uh, in terms of in terms of writing. Uh, and creating, but you know, I'm still putting out the the YouTube videos multiple times a month. I put out. I also have a podcast called Everything Else, uh, and that's streaming everywhere. So you can listen to me for an hour a week over there. But yeah, it's just you know, it's just the the constant creativity of being uh, a young person on the internet. Just anything is possible, and that's so daunting. So <laughs> you'll see it all from me. Yeah, we're not young people on the internet, but we understand that grind. <laughs> You're Definitely. not young people on the internet. My Uber's here. I simply have to go. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm very, like, honestly, me and Mark joke all the time. Like, every now and again, so feel like Steve Buscemi. Hello, fellow kids. Yeah. <laughs> Jacqueline, what's, it, what's an Uber? Does, is he talking about the trolley? Is it, is is it, it time is already? Is it a car? Did we go to the My car? horse and buggy's here. <laughs> yippee ki He's the place soda fountain jacks. I'm sorry, that's a John Mulaney quote. <laughs> um, one more thing, Connor, since you are a man that I'm sure that enjoys great things to watch, um, we always ask uh, one of our certified uh, fresh guests, what is a TV or movie recommendation you'd like to give our listeners? Mm, um, I'm trying to think of something long like something uh more i like all i can think of is what i'm currently watching and mm. one of the shows i currently watched uh was alice in borderland which oh. if you like if you like squid game it's very mm. much of a similar genre it's a, a japanese like horror thriller mystery very similar to squid game and that it's people in some sort of dystopian like world playing a game for their lives uh oh wow it's it's fantastic i thoroughly enjoyed it i will check that out i love when people give me stuff that i i haven't seen or heard of and it literally makes my day because it's always better than the stuff usually that i have (laughs) that i watch on my own because if it was my 
choice. It would just be West Wing episodes uh, rerun. Yeah. That's all I would do. That's my yeah. fear with, with shows like that is that we're, we're going towards a place where sports are going to become irrelevant unless the penalty is death for losing. Like, because you know how <laughs> yep. nobody cared about true crime and we all loved fictional villains like Darth Vader and then true crime came in and then it's like, well, I can't care about this unless a real murder happened. So I'm concerned that like the NBA in 10 years is just going to be if you, if you lose this playoff yeah. series, it's over for you. Yeah. yeah. Connor, thank you so much. This was a really great treat to chat film with you. Um, anytime you have anything coming out, please hit us back. Uh, we'd love to have you back for anything you want to promote, sir. Thank you for having me. I love, I use Rotten Tomatoes all the time. So I was like, yep, immediate yes. Into the, it's, a, it's like a genius concept for a show. So I was thrilled. So thank you for, thank you for having me. Thank you, sir. He's so fun. I had such a fun time chatting with him, Mark. Don't you think? He was very fun, but the overarching feeling I have about Connor is he's so young and so <laughs> prolific, and it just makes me feel like he's the person that I want to put me in the retirement home. So, it, 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 <laughs> Connor, if you're listening, we can do six months from now. We can do a year, whenever you feel it's best. But uh, he's the he, he's going to be the person that that lets me know when it's time to go. <laughs> I can see that for you. I can see that for you, and I'm I'm happy for you for that. <laughs> Thank um, you. I can't wait to I just would... play shuffleboard all day. <laughs> It'll be a good time. Also, the kid's not even 30 yet. That's just, ugh, it's just. I know. What was, I know what I was doing during that time, and it was definitely not writing New York Times bestselling books, but nope. that's why we have fit, uh, folks like him around to uh, sort of make us feel guilty about our, our wasted adolescence <laughs> and have hope for the future. Uh, We've had a lot of fun recently. Connor France, another great guest in the Hall of Fame of certified fresh ketchup crew members. So let's just keep the train rolling. This has been fun. And, and again, I love when I get to check out movies I'd never seen before. So Jennifer's Body, I will ask about it on any future first date that I go on, scarce though they may be. Mm, that is self-regulation right there, sir. We'll have to pick up that topic for another week. But I want to remind folks again, Email us at rtiswrong at Rotten Tomatoes. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and tell your friends. We've had an incredible run of late. The podcast has been doing so well, and we know it is all because of you guys. So thank you so much, and we'll see you all next week. Bye.